Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads. To save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Okay, so presents. Check. Decorations. Uh, check. Christmas clothes. Yep, check. The turkey. You forgot the turkey. Dunn Stores has extended opening hours over the Christmas season, so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done. Opening times may vary. Check your Dunn Stores app or dunnstores.com for more info. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Robert Bever believed that society was useless and wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. His younger brother, Michael Bever, looked up to Robert and was willing to follow with whatever he had planned. This is Monsters. In this season of the podcast, I'm covering cases of parricide. That's the act of a child killing their parents. Some historical examples of parricide are Lizzie Borden, who killed her parents with an axe, and Lyle and Eric Menendez, who shot their parents so many times with a shotgun they were unrecognizable. Unfortunately, some of the cases of parricide don't only include just the parents. The term familicide is used to describe someone who kills their entire family. Used most commonly with family annihilators like Chris Watts or Michael Jones Jr., it also applies to kids who kill their parents and siblings. Paul Moans, an Oregon-based attorney who has worked on parasite cases around the United States, said that between 1 and 2 percent of homicides in the country involve children killing their parents. The most common cases are of sons who kill their fathers. There's not a lot of information available about the Bever family. Neighbors say that the family of nine was quiet and reclusive. 
They lived in a large house in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, about 20 minutes southeast of Tulsa. David and April Bever married in Texas when she was only 15 years old, according to comments she made on her Reddit account. David worked for Samson Resources in the IT department. His co-workers described him as a quiet man who kept to himself. His supervisor, Lisa Wolf, said that he was a nice guy who didn't get involved in office politics and that was the type of person she liked to work with. The couple went on to have seven children. At the time of the murders, they were 18-year-old Robert, 16-year-old Michael, 13-year-old Crystal, 12-year-old Daniel, 7-year-old Christopher, 5-year-old Victoria, and 2-year-old Autumn. The youngest was born premature, and April created a nonprofit called Autumn's Hope to raise money to help other people who had children who were born ill or premature. All of the children were homeschooled their entire lives, but none of the homeschooling groups in the area had any interactions with the Bevers. One of David's previous supervisors even founded the Cornerstone Homeschool Cooperative in Broken Arrow, but she said in an interview that she had never seen them associate with any homeschooling groups. Neighbors said the children only played in their own backyard, and the family seemed to actively stay away from social gatherings in the neighborhood. It seemed that the parents wanted to protect their children from the outside world. It might have something to do with Robert's claim that he had attended preschool outside the home, but he had been molested, which caused his parents to pull him out of the school. It seemed as though they let that outside world into their home as they had very few restrictions on internet usage. The children were free to use a number of tablets and computers to access whatever they wanted. Now, I don't believe that media such as the internet, movies, music, and video games cause children to become violent, but it's still a place where they can find inspiration for ideas they're already having. Early on, it seemed as though the boys were interested in the same things as other boys their age. Star Wars, sports cars, and the band Linkin Park. Oh, and we can't forget Minecraft. He made two vlog videos where he seems like your average goofy teenager. Salute. Hey everyone, it's me Colt Empire. In case you didn't know, you found me by accident. Or you're expecting someone else. That. Why would you do that? Anyway, this is the second first ever update, which I think is a major improvement. I tried a news report theme last time. That's not very vloggy, is it? So I'm being a little more chillinated, writing stuff, scripting. I'm going to make my first skit soon. Can't show you a sneak preview or it would ruin it. It'll be like a minute long. It's, it's, it's going to be some good stuff. I think it's going to be hilarious. It's going to have a few props in it, which is the only delay. So, um, I came up with a couple of songs. They aren't parodies, though. They're some intense gangster rap type stuff I came up with when I was listening to someone's mixtape. I'm about that. Yeah. I had a parody song, but it's probably offensive, so I'm never going to upload it. Now I'm having to write a whole new parody song. Uh, you can't explain that. Man! Write a song. Just writing a song. I got that creativity juices flowing. Alright, uh, I also found out that Minecraft is compatible with Windows 8. I heard. I don't know how reliable that is, but it turns out it's just my laptop is a compact I've had for about four years, and its graphics drivers are hopelessly outdated, so, um, oh, speaking of what, of hopeless, hopelessly outdated, Minecraft 0.6.0 turned out to be a bomb in a bad way. Um, everyone knows that by now. But um, my brother lost his ultimate survival world because of 
uh, the 0.6.0 Pocket Edition uh, world-saving glitch. It, it was awesome. The whole world had been mined out. It was a full-blown uh, city with streets and neighborhoods and a big city center with skyscrapers and hot dog vendors and mimes and pollution. Or maybe I was just cleaning out my closet. Uh, the pollution fumes went to my head. At some point, Robert became interested in murder and started looking at stories about famous serial killers and mass shooters. Michael looked up to his older brother, and the two shared everything, even their thoughts about committing mass murder. The pair fed off each other, reading stories about Ted Bundy and Richard Ramirez. They idolized school shooters and started talking about wanting to be famous and killing more people than the other mass shooters. It was also reported that they had talked about making a video of their family's murder and posting it to YouTube at a later date. They started watching the movie Rampage. No, not the Dwayne Johnson movie, an independent movie released straight to video in 2009. It takes place in a fictional town in Oregon where a 21-year-old man who hates society believes that he needs to kill as many people as he can to reduce the population and bring balance back to society. He crafts a set of full-body armor and heads into town with an arsenal of weapons. He bombs the police station and then kills as many people as he can. The worst part about the movie, spoiler alert, just in case you want to watch it, trust me, you don't want to watch it, is that he gets away with it. He somehow frames his only friend, and at the end of the movie, he takes off to go commit another killing spree somewhere else. The movie became a source of inspiration and helped the two cultivate their ultimate plan. They didn't just want to become famous for mass murder. They wanted to be famous for having killed the most people. They wanted to travel across the country, racking up a kill count in the hundreds. Did you guys talk about um, being on the news and getting to see each other on TV and stuff? Yeah. What kind of things did you say and talk about? Um, mostly about how we were planning on killing more people. Yeah. And, and, um, and we become famous, we began Wikipedia lists. Oh, okay. People. That'd be a big deal, yeah. I mean, do you think they might even make a movie or something, or a TV show? I don't know about a movie or TV show, but... Uh, Did you guys talk about that? Yeah, talk about documentaries and stuff. He just wanted to be famous. What did you want? Yeah. You could talk about what he wanted, what did you want? No, I just wanted to get my wings clean, get a job. But you, I mean, your, your big brother's telling me he wants to be famous and you guys are making these plans. Surely you want some I, of that fame too, right? Yeah, I do want to do it with him because, like, he's going to do it no matter what. He says, if I don't do it with him, they'll just kill me too. They specifically wanted a Wikipedia page about themselves. Ironically, if you search for them on Wikipedia, you won't find any articles specifically about them. What you will find is an article titled Broken Arrow Killings, which describes the event, but doesn't really focus on Robert and Michael. I don't know if that was on purpose, but I like that it's a subtle slap in their faces. Robert had a job working for Micah Tech, which was a Christian call center where people could call in and the person working on the phone would pray with them. This gave him money to start funding their plans. He started ordering parts to put together a full set of body armor for both himself and Michael. Both boys began collecting knives, something that Crystal had told her parents she was uncomfortable with. 
They brushed it off as normal boy behavior and didn't intervene in the boy's hobby. They were also aware that he bought a bulletproof vest, but didn't seem to think that was unusual. How long have you had the body armor? Body armor? Roger's had his license started to go, and we've been buying it. Well, he's been buying it. And was, it, was it shipped to the house? Yeah. Do your parents know? I mean, did they know it? They knew he had bulletproof vests. They always thought that was a little loud, but they yeah. didn't say anything about it. Did he have anything else, like the, the gear that the guys wear, helmets or goggles or gloves? He had a soft glove vest, a heavy, um, I don't know, it's like a metal-plated vest. Okay. Metal feet, metal feet. He had a helmet, bulletproof helmet, a bulletproof DEA mask, and one of them goes. Wow. Also, like a light knife-proof arm thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, knife and a bullet bottle. Okay. So, yeah, it's a and then your the body armor that you had, what was it like? It was almost identical. Okay. Just a couple of different models. And, stuff. and where is your body armor now? Oh, my vests and my helmets. It was lying in the woods. The dog pulled it off of me. Oh, wow. I was wearing it. Oh, you were wearing it? Yeah, I was wearing this sort of vest and plate kind of really Okay. So I took that. And the rest of my body armor was still in the closet. Okay. What their parents didn't realize was that Robert was also purchasing guns and ammunition. Once he turned 18, he realized that he was able to purchase guns, and the two began planning. Tell me more about making plans and what you guys talked about. Making plans, we all plotted every night, and I started realizing we were actually going to do this thing on the second night, and so I started getting ready. When was that? You second night? What you mean? July 1st. Okay. Because we started June 30th. That's when you started making the plan? Yeah, that's when we found out he could buy a gun I see. Did you guys draw, make drawings or write things down? Or? I think he had a journal. It basically he had his down. I think it's under his bed. Under his bed? I don't check that. Is it like a, like, like, like a journal? Like a notepad? Or like yeah. A book? It's, like a, it's like a blank book. Okay. A black book. I think it's like a little case. So you think he wrote stuff in there? Yeah, I think he was planning it. So then the second day, you said that's when you realized that it might actually happen? Yeah. What made you realize that? Um, how serious he was. I mean, he was going through, he started, uh, he started planning on taking all of his money out of his uh, bank and throwing away stuff, throwing away all this stuff. So, you know. Why did he want to do that? Do that kill people? Yeah. Um, well, mainly two reasons, I think. It's, um, because he just, like, says he hates everyone he thinks society is pointless, and so he wanted to kill people. Yeah, and he also he wanted to, like, beat, um, beat the kill, like, amount of other famous people like Columbine and uh, James Egan Holmes. It sounds like Robert was able to purchase guns online and have them shipped to a gun store where he would be able to pick them up. At some point before the murders, a gun store employee called Robert to let him know that a shotgun and two Glock pistols were ready for pickup. He planned to pick them up the day after the murders. Robert then ordered thousands of rounds of ammunition to be delivered to their house. Now, you may be asking, how are his parents not going to notice thousands of rounds of ammunition showing up at their home? Well, that was the beginning of the plan. They were going to murder their family and use the house to receive the ammo then steal the family's GMC Yukon and go on their road trip of random killing. Tell me what, what plans you started making and coming up with. 
Well, originally, I think Pat stayed stayed uh, throughout the month. Is so we went to let him in the house first. Okay. And then wait for all the packages to show up over the weekend. Um, they would take the economy to get our state with the guns in that still Okay. Still Did you know where you were going to drive to? Um, towards Washington. Washington State or D.C.? Washington State. It's Washington State. Why would you go to Washington State? It's just kind of direction. And you said Yukon, did your parents have like a Yukon? Is that what it is? Yeah, okay. so it's a Yukon XL. Does Robert have a driver's license? He has a one Okay. So he would be able to drive it. Can you drive if you, I mean, if you had to? No, I This kid doesn't even know how to drive a car, and he's planning on traveling across the country to commit mass murder. They actually picked the date they would murder their family based on when the ammo would arrive at their house. You picked a date, you said. Yeah, which was yesterday, yesterday night. So you picked a time and everything? Yep, and the night when we said you were and dead. So how did you guys know? He just came and got you, or you got him, or what did you guys do? We were hanging out, yeah, that's good waiting. Okay, and so... How did you pick the date? They were holding on with packages and stuff we have. Because you know, all the ammunition, he didn't want them to see that. So we killed him the day before the ammunition came out, the day after we moved. Robert had been taking money out of the bank and putting it away in their room. He had a notebook under his bed where he made notes about the plan. They sat down and specifically plotted out exactly how they were going to kill each family member one by one. The plan was to wait until the whole family was asleep the night before the ammo was to be delivered. Then, Michael was going to use a small crossbow to quietly shoot his father in the head. Then, they were going to go room by room and kill the other members of their family with a knife. So, who were you supposed to kill? I was supposed to take my pistol crossbow. I was supposed to shank his soul. She was supposed to die quietly. Yeah, she was supposed to be the first one she was. And then, um, Robert would go in, slip on his throat, push you over with him, and both go in and crawl. Because they were supposed to be like quiet. Right? Yeah, I was supposed to be with it. And then I would go upstairs and uh, shoot David, Dad, and the guy with my pistol crossbow would okay. kill him. And then I would go over and kill him. Okay. So did you, use your, did you use your crossbow at all? No. I, the only time I ever hurt anybody um, was my stabs Christopher in the neck. Did, um, did Robert use your crossbow? No, no, it's just saying. Where is your crossbow? I think it's on my bed still, unless they collected it. So did you have it out ready to go, and then it just kind of didn't go as planned? Yeah, no, nothing was planned. Yeah. It seems as though they believed that stabbing someone would instantly kill them. Michael wrote in his confession, quote, The plan was first at around 12 a.m. to put on our gear and Robert would kill April Bever, and then I would kill Crystal and Victoria then go upstairs and both kill David Bever and the baby, then go downstairs and Robert would kill Daniel and Chris, then wait a couple of days and leave the state and begin the spree, end quote. Sometime between 11 and 11.30 on the night of July 22, 2015, Michael and Robert were in the bedroom that they shared and decided that now was the time to put their plan in motion. According to Michael's account, he went out into the living room and told his sister, Crystal, that he wanted to show her something on his computer. As she came into the room and stood by Michael's desk, Robert attacked. When, now, okay, so she sat down at your desk, 
And he slid her through it. He said, well, standing about that scale, came up behind and slid her through it, and she fell down screaming. And then he stabbed her some more? When he was stabbing her some more, was it, where was he stabbing her? Her neck. Oh, her neck. Her neck and her stomach. Stomach. Okay. And, um, and then my mom came in, and she started yelling, call the police, get dad. And then we came up and started attacking her. He actually got up and ran out the front door. Wow. And um, once mom was on the ground, he got up and started chasing after her. And what were you doing? Did you come out in the hallway? According to Crystal, she had gone into their bedroom on her own to tell both of them that their mother wanted them to do the dishes. When she went in their room, she saw them putting on body armor and that they had an assortment of knives laid out on the bed. She heard Michael say, quote, should we do it right now, end quote, to which Robert replied, quote, yes, end quote. Michael asked Crystal to look at something on his computer, and when she did, Robert came up behind her and slit her throat. Robert was under the impression that slitting her throat would kill her quickly and silently, but a lifetime of action movies had lied to him, and Crystal began screaming. The screams from Crystal alerted their mother, and when Robert turned his attention to her, Crystal was able to run out of the room. The girl was able to get out of the house and collapsed in the driveway. April began screaming for someone to call the police before Robert began stabbing her with the same knife and eventually pushed her into the kitchen where he continued stabbing her in the neck. At this point, the house erupted into chaos. After Robert was finished with his mother, he went out the front door, grabbed Crystal, and dragged her back onto the front porch. He then went to find the younger kids and told Michael to bring Crystal back inside. Michael dragged his sister back into the house and left her lying in the entryway. He must have locked the door because authorities said it was locked when they arrived at the scene. Christopher had locked himself into the bathroom with their sister, Victoria. Michael went up to the door and pretended to be trying to hide from Robert, telling them that they needed to let him in. When Christopher opened the door, Michael went in and stabbed the two to death. Daniel had locked himself in their father's office, which was right next to the bathroom. He had managed to get Michael's cell phone and called 911 at 11.32 p.m. Okay, 911. Broken Air 911. Hello? Hello? Hi, where are you at? Broken Air, Oklahoma, 7411. What address? 709 Okay. Are you the only one there? No. My brother's attacking my family. Your dad is attacking your family? No, my brother. Oh, he has a knife. Okay, who's attacking your family? What? Who's attacking your family? Yes. Who, who is it? Do they Are you there? Hello? Hi, what's going on there? What's going on there? Hello? Hello?
Michael used the same ruse to get Daniel to open the door, and when he did, he took the phone from him and smashed it. Michael told Robert, quote, he's all yours, end quote. Robert stabbed Daniel multiple times, and when Robert let him go, he ran away, but collapsed in the living room where he died. David was asleep upstairs, and when he was finally awoken by the commotion, he came downstairs. When he saw the horror that was going on in the home, he charged Robert. Unfortunately, Robert managed to stab his father in the chest as he came at him, and David fell to the floor. Robert continued stabbing his father to death. Almost as soon as they had killed everyone, or so they believed, there was a knock at the front door. They didn't know who it was and thought it might be a neighbor, so they grabbed a backpack and fled out the back door. They ran through some woods to a creek behind their house. When police arrived on the scene, they knocked on the door, and when they heard a faint voice inside saying, Help me, Detective Brett Burton kicked in the door and they found Crystal Bever lying in the entryway in a pool of blood. They picked her up and took her out where paramedics were already on the scene. The city of Broken Arrow has about 100,000 residents and is the fourth largest city in the state. It only has a murder happen once every couple of years, so when something like this happens, they call out everyone to the scene. All detectives, canine units, firefighters, paramedics, all hands on deck. Crystal made it to the paramedics who had no idea how she was still alive, but she was, so they got her stabilized into the hospital where she was rushed into surgery. Despite multiple stab wounds, a slit throat, and excessive blood loss, Crystal survived the attack. 52-year-old David had 28 stab wounds to his back, neck, chest, and abdomen. 44-year-old April had 48 stab wounds to her neck, face, arms, chest, and abdomen. 12-year-old Daniel had 21 stab wounds to his back, neck, head, and chest. 7-year-old Christopher had 21 stab wounds to his back, chest, head, and neck. 5-year-old Victoria had 23 stab wounds to her back, neck, chest, face, and abdomen. The Broken Arrow police walked into the scene of a horror movie. Blood was smeared everywhere, and they didn't know if the attackers were still in the house. They found both April and Daniel first, and since they didn't know if they were still alive or not, they carried them both out of the house to the paramedics. They were pronounced dead at the scene. They turned a corner and found David lying on the floor. They said they could tell that he was dead, so they continued to the back of the house, where they found a locked bathroom door. Normally, a locked door at a scene like this means there's a suspect who has barricaded himself in the room. Due to what they were finding at the scene, they didn't want to take the chance on there being someone in there that needed help, and Officer Walker kicked in the door. Inside, they found the bodies of Christopher and Victoria, both stabbed to death and left in a pool of blood on the bathroom floor. Crime scene investigator Jackie Smithson said it was the worst thing he had ever seen. Police made their way upstairs and cleared the rooms one by one. When they got to the last room, they found a baby girl lying in her crib, not moving. When they checked on her, they found that she had been unharmed. Two-year-old Autumn had been fast asleep during the entire incident. Robert and Michael had forgotten about her before they fled the house and fortunately didn't have time to discover her and complete their plan, which is good because according to court documents, their plan was to cut off her head. After the house was cleared, police discovered the back door was ajar and believed that their suspects must have fled out the back. 
Using canine units to track their scent, Robert and Michael were quickly discovered hiding in some brush near the creek. When police commanded them to show their hands and come out, Robert complied right away, but Michael hesitated. Officers released the dog, who instantly grabbed Michael by the shoulder, prompting him to come out of the bushes. He can be seen in the arrest photos with a torn shirt and bite marks on his shoulder. Robert was still wearing his body armor, but Michael had taken his off and it was lying on the ground between their house and where they were found. When the brothers were arrested, they were photographed for evidence and Michael has a vacant look on his face, like he didn't really care one way or the other that he just murdered his family. Robert, on the other hand, actually looks quite happy. He has a smirk on his face like he just passed a test. As police went to put them in separate patrol cars, Robert looked over at Michael and said, quote, It's been a pleasure. I'm proud of what I've done. End quote. On the night of the murders, a neighbor, Julie Wallace, informed police that the family had a dog. Their dachshund chihuahua mix wasn't found until later the following afternoon, and she was given to Julie to care for. Julie said that the dog, who she has since renamed Sally, is still frightened any time they're screaming on the television. Back at the police station, both Robert and Michael talk openly about their plans. For reasons I couldn't find, Robert's interrogation was sealed, but Michael's remained available. While talking to Detective Burton, he tried to downplay his involvement in the murders. His story involves Robert running around the house, stabbing everyone with himself just standing by. He disabled the home alarm when Crystal went out the front door and helped bring her back into the house. Eventually, he admits to stabbing Christopher once, but tries to say that Robert did everything else and he only participated because Robert said he would kill him if he didn't. So everybody that you killed and every single stab wound that you inflicted, we're going to know about. And this is your last chance to just kind of let us know, to be honest, to man up and tell us exactly what you did and, and start making it right. I had Christopher... I did not stab Victoria with Daniel. You did not stab Victoria? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, um, I tried to stab mom. You stabbed mom? That's, yeah, I got when she was walking around. I just had to go for a night, but, you know. I, Is that when you cut yourself? Yeah, yeah I think that after that. Where did you stab her? I just had to go through behind it. Kind of hope I, did you cut her? Yeah, I think so, yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like something you have to think about. I know it's it's you're still kind of dealing with it, um, and I wasn't there. I wasn't the one doing it. But you don't have to think about it. You know what you did. So you, you cut her neck. You stabbed Christopher in the neck. How many times did you stab Christopher? Two or three. And who else did you stab? Besides Mom. Because here's the thing. Everybody's been stabbed, and you both had knives, and we know you both stabbed everybody. So you guys are kind of at the same level, and so now it's, who's going to be honest and make this right, and who's a liar? Okay, which one do you want to be? Okay, so you're a man of your word? Yes. Okay. Now he claims he stabbed Christopher two or three times. Unfortunately for Michael, Robert's story doesn't match. While they talk to Robert, he is proud of the people he killed. He wants credit for all of his evil deeds, so why would he give Michael credit for killing people if he hadn't actually killed them? Both of the brothers were charged with five counts of first-degree murder and one count of assault and battery with a deadly weapon. 
Michael's defense lawyer, Rob Nye, filed a motion to try their client as a juvenile, but Oklahoma state law says that 15- to 17-year-olds are to be tried as an adult if they're charged with first-degree murder. His motion was denied. On June 17, 2016, while both of the brothers were being held in the jail medical unit, segregated from each other, Robert tried to commit suicide. He had tied a sheet around his neck, with the other end tied to his bed, and tried to hang himself, but was unsuccessful. Since Robert was 18 at the time of the murders, he was eligible for the death penalty. In an effort to save Crystal from having to testify in court, on September 7th, District Attorney Steve Kunzweiler offered Robert a deal to take the death penalty off the table if he pleaded guilty to all counts. Robert took the deal and was given five life sentences without the possibility of parole to be served consecutively plus another life term. The state assumed that Michael would also take a deal, especially since he tended to follow the lead of his older brother, but he didn't. Michael pleaded not guilty and brought the case to trial. At the trial, Robert testified for the defense and his story did not match what he said during his interrogation. He claimed that after he stabbed Crystal in the neck, Michael turned around and said, quote, Robert, what are you doing? End quote. He told the jury that Michael had only convinced the younger children to open the locked doors, but never stabbed anyone. Michael's knife had his own blood on the handle. He said in his interrogation that he thinks he cut himself when he stabbed his mother. The knife also had blood from his mother and his father. Michael had claimed that Robert had killed their mother, which gave Crystal time to run away. But according to testimony from Crystal, Robert immediately ran after her and caught her in the driveway, and Michael is the one who killed April. Both Robert and Crystal testified that there was physical abuse in the house. Robert described his father yelling at Michael about his speech impediment. He claimed that one time, out of frustration for Michael's stutter, he shook the boy and yelled, quote, Stop and don't talk until you can speak clearly, end quote. He said there were occasions where David would punch or kick Michael. Crystal said that David threw the kids across the room in the past, and one time overheard her parents talking about being too rough on Robert and Michael when they were younger. Robert believed that his parents were paranoid and wouldn't let them be around any strangers. They had cameras around the house, but the cameras didn't record. They just allowed David to monitor the house from his phone at all times. On May 10, 2018, Michael Bevers was found guilty of five counts of first-degree murder and one count of assault and battery with a deadly weapon. Michael was scheduled for sentencing on July 24th, where he made a statement saying, quote, Every minute and every second, I've been thinking about what I could have done different and what kind of life I could have had with my family, end quote. Judge Sharon Holmes put off sentencing until August 9th in order to give herself more time to think about her decision. When August 9th came, the judge sentenced Michael to five life sentences with the possibility of parole, plus a 28-year sentence for the attempted murder of Crystal. But the sentences are to be served consecutively, so it's likely he will spend the rest of his life in prison. This sentence went against the jury's recommendation to give Michael a chance at parole after 38 years, and the defense believed it violated state rules against sentencing juveniles to life sentences. Michael's lawyer filed an appeal on the grounds that five consecutive life sentences, even with parole, is still in fact a life sentence. People under the age of 18 are unable to be sentenced to mandatory life sentences on the grounds that it violates the Eighth Amendment's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment. 
I would argue that being stabbed to death is cruel and unusual punishment. Why is Michael immune from receiving the same sentence he carried out on his own family? Supreme Court Judge Gary Lumpkin said that children accused of multiple violent crimes should not get a volume discount on the sentence imposed. He said that the decision on consecutive or concurrent is within the discretion granted to trial courts. The Supreme Court ruled 3-2 to two in favor of upholding the sentence. Michael will spend the rest of his life in prison. The Bever home sat on the market for years, with nobody willing to purchase the heavily stigmatized house. The neighbors worried that the home would continue to be an eyesore on the community and continue to attract looky-loos who wanted to see the house where the Bever family was murdered. On March 18, 2017, the house was destroyed in a fire. Authorities believe it was arson. No shit. But they have no leads as to who may have set the fire. A month after the fire, the city of Broken Arrow raised the funds to purchase the property where the Bever home sat and turn it into a memorial garden. The park that we have designed, the park department has designed, is a place that brings uh, healing and tranquility. So we hope that eventually the first responders that came to this property, and even maybe years from now, the siblings that survived, could come by here in remembrance of the family members lost and provide some healing for them. I just want you to know that in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, we will not let evil overcome good. And I, I just wanted to finish with a, a, a quote that I found that says, Good will always prevail over evil, no matter how much evil attempts to break you. More than that, you are never truly in darkness. Sometimes, sometimes all you need to do is turn on the light. Today in Broken Arrow, we're turning on the light. This house has been... Um in more ways than anybody other than the neighbors will know, just, yes, a constant reminder. I'm, I'm almost positive that in the future it would be a constant reminder for the, those surviving victims. Um, we're proud to say, because we maintain a beautiful relationship with the extended family, we have their blessing on this. It is the right thing to do. Um, it's time to turn the light on. In May of 2018, the home was demolished and the city began work, transforming the property into a garden. The garden was dedicated on March 27, 2019. As the mayor said, I'd like to thank everybody for coming out today to, to support the city's efforts to help our community heal after, obviously, a major uh, tragedy that we had back in 2015. Uh, I do want to recognize, as I'm sure... Uh, other members that are going to speak today to talk more specifically about those that have contributed. But for me, anytime that you can add a park to your community, whether it's a passive park or it's an active park, it's always a really good thing. And what I'm most impressed about about this park is the fact that it was a partnership between the public sector and the private sector to help this neighborhood and our community heal from that tragedy back in 20, 2015. I just want to say on behalf of the uh, city staff, and also the city council, thank you to everyone that contributed to this park. I think it's going to be something that folks in this neighborhood and the community will be able to enjoy for many years to come. On July 15, 2019, Robert Bever attempted to attack prison staff with an 8-inch long sharpened instrument. The incident report states that two prison staff members were standing in the day room at Joseph Harp Correctional Center in Lexington, Oklahoma. Robert approached them from behind and tried to attack, but one of the officers got him in a bear hug and ordered him to drop the weapon. 
He complied with that command and the commands to get on the ground. I guess he's learned the hard way that killing isn't so easy when your target isn't an innocent little kid. He was written up and the incident will go in his prison records, but what are they going to do? Give him more time? <laughs> All information about Crystal or Autumn's whereabouts has been sealed for their protection. Hopefully, they're in a safe place and are getting the help and support they need. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233, or go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will instantly take your browser to a Google search page. In the event the abuser is nearby, you can assure that you don't get caught trying to get help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at Buy Me a Coffee or check out some of our merchandise at Teespring. You can find information on how to do that along with links to our social media at thisismonsters.com. Thanks again. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Christmas is the season of giving, but it can be difficult to know who on your list wants what. Save yourself the guesswork by giving the gift of choice. Whether you're buying for the foodie, fashionista or home bird of the family, they'll love a Dunn Stores gift card. They can choose from everything we have in store and online, from fashion to homewares to groceries. It's the perfect choice to make this Christmas. Visit dunstores.com for details. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. 
when you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on. See CertaIreland.ie.